There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Yeah. All right. We're doing it. Y'all ready? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. There's someone podcasting here About a film with a b-ball veneer There's a man by the name of Spike Lee And he's using songs from Aaron Copeland And Public Enemy, you know we're talking Spike Lee's He Got Game Cinema Possessed is taking aim Denzel wants to be free But Ray Allen wants to throw away the key Will the son give the dad a second chance? And there's a scene where Denzel creams in his pants You know we're talking Spike Lee's He Got Game Cinema Possessed is taking aim at Spike Lee's He Got Game Cinema Possessed is taking aim at Spike Lee's he got game, cinema possessed is about to play. A Jack and Justin joint. Welcome, everybody, to the Cinema Possessed Podcast. My name is Jack Bishop. And I'm Justin Nijam. And each week, we take a close look at one film in our combined DVD and Blu-ray collections and discuss what it was about it that originally possessed us to want to possess it. We'll debate whether or not the film still holds that power over us today, and in the end, we'll decide once and for all if it deserves to keep its place on the movie shelf or be taken to the rack and flushed through the hoop like a Thanksgiving poop. Oh my god. I used to say that when I was playing like NBA Jam. What is the rack representing? Is that a net? The rack is the rim. Okay. And the hoop, uh, the like, you know, flush through the hoop, Mm -hmm. like a Thanksgiving poop is like a hard dunk. 
Because you poop a lot on Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah. All I mean, the you, food. With all the food and yeah, stuff. You know, I guess you... that makes sense. <laughs> Did you ever play NBA Jam? Um, Were you like a, a sports video game kid? I was not. But yes, NBA Jam was too popular to ignore. Yeah. And also NFL Blitz were the yes. two that I played. NFL Blitz was a big one for PlayStation. I, mm-hmm. I had NBA Jam for Super Nintendo. Mm-hmm. I think it was really the only sports video game that I played like in the early Nintendo days. Then once PlayStation came around, yeah, like NFL Blitz and Madden and all that stuff, I kind of got more into. What was the popular saying from NBA Jam? Was it like when you're on fire or something? He's on fire. Okay. Yeah. And then there was like all the Dick Vitale stuff. Mm-hmm. Awesome, baby. Mm-hmm. Those were fun. I, I tried. I played soccer uh, most of my life. Boring. I know. I tried to get into the FIFA games, but never was Boring. able to. Boring. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Mario Tennis. Does that count? Sure. I loved Mario I, Tennis. And then I got really into wrestling. Mm-hmm. Like, just in general, I was just a huge wrestling head. And so I played all the wrestling video games. Mm-hmm. And did you ever play basketball? I did play basketball. Yeah. Obviously, we grew up in the era of the bulls i'm from chicago Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so it was impossible to ignore that jordan fever did you get to see any games or no i don't think i ever went to a game i think the honestly the only sports game i ever went to growing up was like the cubs and the white Sox. that's it you know this is helpful context as we talk about this movie but i didn't really grow up in a sports household mm. uh, both of my parents being uh immigrants that you know basketball uh baseball especially football those were kind of um things that just were never really on in the house those are things that your parents pass down to for you sure. or your older brother or sister you know shares with you and it was just difficult for me to get into that uh, especially to being in a house where TV was just limited across the board and mm. I was not allowed to play football because it was too violent. So that's why I did play basketball because it was like a way to connect with the sport and still be in the zeitgeist and and be cool. Um, and what's cool about it is it is something you can practice and play by yourself. Everybody has a net yeah. on their, above their garage door and no matter where you're from, anywhere in the world, you could make a basketball hoop and right. you can, as long as you have a ball, you can play. I mean, I'm, I'm like always in the mood to play horse. Horse is my mm-hmm. shit. Mm-hmm. I played basketball too, one season, little league basketball, terrible team. I was not very good. We had one good player, but he was like the worst teammate because he just mm-hmm. was a ball hog. He would literally come up and like take the ball from mm-hmm. us, his teammates. He would just come grab it and then take it to the rack. And he would, he was the only reason why we ever scored any points is I don't think we ever won any games. Um, but yeah, one one little league basketball season was all I needed to 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 know I wasn't. Was, you never played in school, never. And I was try- the coaches always tried to recruit me because mm-hmm. I'm tall. Yeah, but. I never took to it. It never really um, engaged me. And part of the reason why I like this movie is because the stakes of it are not Mm -hmm. about like the game. Yeah. What movie are we talking about today? We're talking about He Got Game 1998, written and directed by Spike Lee. We out the projects, baby. What you gonna buy your mom, son? How more? A big house. It's the will of the man. It ain't the skill of the man. You have a son named Jesus Shuttlesworth? Governor's made a request that your son seriously consider enrolling in his alma mater, Big State. The governor's given me his word. He'll do everything in his power to cut your time here short. Yeah, I guess I better get working now, huh? Young son. 
What did I tell you about letting strangers in the house? He's not a stranger. He's our father. I don't have a father. Look, I need to talk to you. You'll see me around. The man escaped just like Shawshank. I want you to go to big state, son. You find it in your heart to go to big state, they may let me out on an early parole. I pray that you understand why I pushed you. I was the one who put the ball in your crib. I ain't no baby no more. People make mistakes. People veer off the path. So what? God forgives them. When will you? Never. Cool tree, man. man. <laughs> that, that last line too. God forgives. When will you? Never. Never. This trailer reminds me of a golden era of trailers when I was a kid where there was always some song in the trailer that wasn't part of the movie yeah. that I was uh, always trying to hunt down. And this was before Shazam. Yeah. So you couldn't Shazam. And it was really hard to research back then. Like, if you didn't know what a song mm-hmm. was, like, even this, I'm like, it sounds like Prodigy. I yep. don't know what it is. I spent 20 minutes Googling He Got Game trailer music, mm-hmm. Prodigy, and I couldn't find anything. That music is so not indicative of the music. In no, this not at, at all. all. That's yeah. the Matrix. Yeah. That was just like a trend at the time is like just to get people into the theaters, they had to put something that sounded like Prodigy. Yeah. To make wonder, you think it was edgy. I wonder what was going on because that was 98 before the Matrix. So I wonder what was trending at the time that made them like what kind of movies. Well, that's like the Chow, thing. Chow Yun Fat movies. Yeah. I mean, you when you. The Matrix is so iconic that you think it was the thing that spawned all that stuff. But if you really go back there and look there, you can f- trace all the influences of the Matrix that were happening before because Dark City was before the yeah. Matrix. Blade, I same think was year. 90, was it 98 or 99? Uh, maybe. It was, but they but all go hand in hand. It, yeah. But they, were, they weren't. I don't think Blade was inspired by the Matrix. And I don't think the Matrix is necessarily inspired by Blade either. But I think they were inspired by the same things that were just sort of trendy at the time. So do you, what did you watch it on? I own it on DVD, mm-hmm. and I don't like the the copy. Okay, because there's no bonus features, and the uh, aspect ratio is. I mean, the aspect ratio is correct, but it's in a box. Yeah, the whole thing to, is you had to reframe box. it on the TV. But I can't. I mean, I, I have a picture. I'll show you later. But basically, uh, you know, 4K OLED TV, mm-hmm. Sony maybe 2019, 2020. And um, I found the menu setting for it, but everything is gray. And it was like, can't be adjusted, can't uh-huh. be adjusted. I was like, why? And On your TV? Yes. The only thing I'm thinking is maybe because I'm using my PS5 as a DVD maybe player. Maybe that's what it is. It sounds like the same issue I had with Texas Chainsaw, but with mm-hmm. Texas Chainsaw, I was able to find a setting that Zoom yeah in to fill the frame of the tv with the proper aspect yeah. ratio but i'm i'm i i already it's like that's a huge strike against it and the print looks like shit yeah. so i do what i always do with this when i uh am not ready to to buy something yet until we do our pod mm-hmm. and upgrade and i i go to videotech i go to my video store i found it on blu-ray i got the same copy shout out videotech mm-hmm. same copy you have part of the reason why i'm conflicted about upgrading because spoiler alert this movie jams yeah and i fucking love it yeah um i'm not gonna i'm not gonna bury the lead on that but but i don't like the blu-ray I feel packaging the yeah and i don't like so you basically you have 25th hour and he got game bundled together right. two amazing movies mm-hmm. that deserve their own release they certainly do yeah the, i i was in the same position i had that dvd i realized that there was a commentary out there but not you know it was on the blu-ray but this the only blu-ray that it, i think that exists of he got game is this bundle i mean missed opportunity to do the blu-ray allen edition oh nice <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> a beautiful pun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the the only available uh, Blu-ray of He Got Game is in this bundle mm-hmm. called the Spike Lee Joint Collection Volume One. I have Volume One and I have Volume Two. Mm-hmm. Um, volume One is Twenty Fifth Hour and He Got Game. Volume Two is Miracle. Summer of Sam and Miracle at Saint Anna. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I bought them both. Uh, for the commentaries, because the the bu- there's a commentary for each movie. Do you know who distributes these editions? Well, it's Touchstone Home Entertainment. Kino has been putting out new releases of a lot of older Spike Lee movies. Yeah, so I'm hoping they get to it's those. It's due up. Yeah. yeah. The other problem is, is where do you put it? Yeah. Do you put it in huge... 25th Hour section, or you put it in He Got Game section? And I went to the or he the Got... Spike Lee section. You maybe you. Make I don't a, do that though. Yeah. I keep it all alphabetical by movie. And so when I went to go pick the film out of the my collection, I went to the H's and it wasn't there. And I kind of had a little f- f- little freak out because I was like, "Wait, what happened to my copy?" I was about to text you like, "Do you have two copies of He Got Game?" And then I remembered, "Oh yeah, it's in this double thing." And I had to go up to the number and I put I'd filed it under twenty fifth hour. I will say maybe a good compromise could be just like a collector, a collection section. Maybe do you I have, do have that. other movies? That, I have that, but I have that for like box sets. Yeah. You know, and this is this is still the size of a normal blue. Why don't you like organizing by director? Um, Makes it easier to find. You're like, because usually, you can't aren't do it you for like, every movie. Aren't you hungry for like, oh, like, oh, I want to watch a Brian De Palma movie. Of course, but then I just go to the Brian, to the movie, you know, yeah. like I, I, you can't do it for every director. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like. Uh, I, I where do I put the disc for like Chopping Mall in the Jim Wynorski section? That's what. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I would have a Jim Wynorski section, right? Uh, but yeah, it just feels like it would get to. I'm an alphabetical man. Do you do any sort of weird categorizing with no, yours? Only alphabetical. Yeah, but, some people but do color. Video. So video tech. There's a horror section, mm-hmm. alphabetical, but by year. So they do decades. And then if you want to find He Got Game, that's in the Spike Lee section, right. which is under the American filmmaker section. So I like that. But you that's have to- That's kind of how Cinephile does it yeah, too. Yeah. You have to do a little bit of thinking. You have to be like, okay, where would he- It's a little bit fun to try to find the movie yeah. rather than just one big video store that has everything alphabetical like a library. Yeah. Um, so it's like, okay- Spike Lee, where's the Spike Lee section? And then you see like, oh, there's a Japanese section. There's, right. you know. And sometimes it forces you to engage with the staff, which is fun because yep. you can, they're very knowledgeable. They know where everything is. You know, if you, sometimes you just hear about a movie and you want to see it, but you don't know anything about it. And mm-hmm. so like sometimes you just want to go in and get that movie, but you don't know what section you yeah. can start in. And so you just have to go ask. And that starts a fun conversation. Oh, yeah. It's fun. Yeah. M. Night Shyamalan would not, is not in the American filmmaker section. Why? But it's like he's in thriller and suspense. Oh, he I still see. has his own section, but, but in it's thriller in suspense. a genre. So it's like sometimes hard to to guess. But sure. Yeah. Did you listen to the commentary? I did. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah. Fun. It's mm-hmm. him and Ray Allen. Yeah, Ray Allen. I thought was was very insightful. Yeah. in the commentary, he he is clearly what I gathered from the commentary is that he took this very seriously, and he he even says on there he was like I decided when I got the part that. I was going to be an actor for this period. I wasn't going to worry about my game. I wasn't going to worry about my career as a basketball player. While I was doing this movie, I was going to be an actor and devote as much time and energy. He did. He worked with an acting coach. Same and, acting coaches, Tom Cruise and Nicole yeah, Kidman. So yeah. he got the best. Susan Batson was the acting coach who worked with them. The story is, is that uh, Spike wanted Kobe. 
and originally went out to Kobe. And I think Kobe even agreed to do it and maybe even signed on. But then he had this game where he shot like four air balls in a row and it like spooked him. He like saw it as a sign of like, wait a second, I need to make sure that my I, I can't lose my touch as a basketball player. And so he decided to forego being in this movie in order to make sure that he was like prepared for his season and all that stuff. And it was all due to this like bad game that he had. And didn't he also refuse to audition? No, that was uh, that was Allen Iverson and Stefan mm. Marbury, mm. who who he also he went after Kobe. He went to them mm-hmm. and yeah, they wanted to just they wanted to do it, but they wanted to just be offered. But a part. In the, so you listen to the commentary. Didn't uh, Ray Allen say Kobe was like mad at Spike? What was he mad about? I don't know if he said he was mad, but he said he couldn't watch the movie. Mm-hmm. He said it took him like 16 years to be able to actually watch the movie. I think mm-hmm. he was more just like heartbroken that yeah. he couldn't be a part of it. I don't know if he was mad. I I do think Ray Allen did an incredible job. And so, again, it's, it, there's no point in, in imagining movies with anyone else. Uh, I don't think that it's like a useful exercise. Sure. But given that Kobe is no longer with us, it would be pretty amazing to have had that. It like, would have been, yeah. Um, film with him in it. What I like about Ray Allen is he has a sweet quality to him Mm -hmm. he feels like a a a fairly normal genuine person and kobe i feel like had that quality as well of just like a sweetness a sincerity to him yeah um it's perfect casting that he uh piggybacking off what you were saying about him he feels humble yeah he doesn't he doesn't feel glamorous to me it feels like it fits in with the character who's like kind of navigating through all the shit storm of uh, these vultures flying around him it's kind of nice that you're not distracted by his celebrity too i mean like at least i'm not yeah i was not at all aware of ray allen before i saw this movie this was my complete introduction to ray allen now he's like one of the few basketball players that i know purely because of this movie and disappointing he didn't do more he more films after this i mean he says he had a pretty good basketball career to yeah. focus on but it yeah. would have been cool to see what else what are you gonna do he, yeah. he was capable of and it's a, interesting because rick fox also um mm-hmm. auditioned for the part of jesus and rick fox is in the movie mm-hmm. and he's really good in the movie but he doesn't look like a high school player that's true yeah. and that was another thing that spike said is like he needed somebody who could actually play yeah. high school too fucking sexy too sexy yeah. it's kind of dangerous and he wouldn't have you see that scene and you're like i don't think rick fox would have worked for the yeah. character of jesus he feels perfect for co- for that role yes. in, in the college as like almost a recruit he's kind of acting as a recruiter but yeah. he's just you know player i i'm a sports movie fan in general but there's something about the sports movie that i enjoy it while i watch it but i don't come back to them a lot which i know is kind of out of the nor- norm i think sports movies are typically very rewatched by a lot of people do you because, have a favorite that you could think of well i think he got game is probably it's definitely my favorite basketball movie as much as i like white men can't jump and you know space jam <laughs> yeah, yeah. slam dunk Ernest. <laughs> as much as i like those movies this one is by far my favorite and i think this is my favorite sports movie but more so than raging bull more so than major league field of dreams uh the league of their own League of Their Own. Oh yeah, that one is fun to rewatch. Rocky is an incredible film. Yeah, but I I don't know. I don't. Rocky is a sports movie, Uh and so is He Got Game. Uh But I I don't categorize them as. And I think that's why, like, the the reason why I can safely say is my favorite sports movie is because this is by far the sports movie I've watched the most. This is a movie that pulls me back. I want it. I love the vibes of it. I love the story of it. The stakes of it really have very little to do with the sports. It's about you know redemption. This is a movie about parents pushing their kids too far and the yeah. sort of the trauma you can inflict by having a plan 
for yeah. your for your child can backfire and make them hate you. Yeah, I feel like he also explored. I was reflecting on Mo Betta Blues and how the Denzel character in that movie is trying to be a very successful, you know, jazz trumpet. musician, Trumpeter. trumpet player, and then has an accident where he can't quite achieve mm -hmm. the dream that he wants to achieve. And then there's that whole, I think, beautiful ending montage where he ends up rushing a kid basically right. having a kid to save his fucking life because he's probably not gonna be alive too much longer mm -hmm. in a world where he can't play and he passes on everything that he knows to his to his son but then there's that the beautiful Spike Lee ending. It's a repeat of the opening of the movie. Yeah. And basically the boy version of Denzel from the beginning of the movie mm -hmm. at the end has the same moment where he wants to go out and play with his friends and Denzel lets him go play. And yeah. I was fucking bawling because yeah. he gives, he wants to put his dreams onto his son, mm -hmm. but Spike is saying in He Got Game, it's just toxic, you can't do yeah. that. And so this is him letting go um, in He Got Game, in Mo Betta Blues, and uh, letting the kid have a fucking childhood. Yeah, you can push them too far. Yeah. You can't help but think of like Tiger Woods and Michael Jordan, the uh, Venus and Serena Williams, Williams, athletes who had fathers that essentially created the athlete. Mm -hmm. And is it worth it to do? And I think this movie is ultimately critical of it. It's saying it's like not worth it. I had a question for you. How many times did you cry in this movie? <laughs> <laughs> wow, I'm almost embarrassed to say. <laughs> I cried one time. I don't, I like don't even want to say what the, the scene that I cried in. But did you tear up? So like, did, how many times did, did you fight back tears? Let's rephrase. One it. time. One time. And I didn't, I lost the battle. The tears came. I feel, I, I, I got emotional more times than, than one. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, it's an emotional movie yeah. for sure. I think it might be one of the most emotional Spike Lee movies I've seen outside of Do the Right Thing. Yeah, well, successfully emotional. Yeah. Spike Lee's, one of Spike Lee's issues at times can be that he goes for emotion and it slips into mm -hmm. uh, overly sentimental melodrama. Mm -hmm. This, I think, is one of his most successful where he actually kind of nails the emotional tone. Whereas, you know, something like the end of Jungle Fever yeah. is supposed to be a, an like emotional that. wallop. I love that. <laughs> I love it. It's yes, but it's laughable. Yes, but it's it's power. No! It's powerful. <laughs> Look, I think Spike Lee. I think Spike Lee across his career, like everyone, has mixed mix, a mixed of bag course. of yeah. work, and that's what makes him interesting. But I like that he's always. Just looking at his endings of his movies, mm -hmm. there's always some thought put into almost like a surreal oh, yeah. or supernatural or m metaphorical ending Absolutely. that helps bring the whole movie together for me. Yeah, he I, looks at he clearly looks at filmmaking as poetry. Yeah, I and felt that way about Jungle Fever. I felt that way about He Got Game. I mm -hmm. felt that way about. Um, 25th hour school even has 25th hour has like a surrealistic yes. aspect to its ending school days i didn't know what to think of school days when i saw it mm -hmm. i was like this is rough it's like mm -hmm. i don't like musicals um i don't even like college frat movies like mm -hmm. porkies and all that right. stuff so it was a really challenging film but but visually beautiful malcolm x as well has a little bit of that and mm -hmm. um black klansman yeah you remember that last scene of black klansman yeah 
is this sort of surreal, yeah. leaves you feeling it leaves he always wants to leave you with like an emotional metaphor. Yeah. To to that a lot of people have trouble with and chew on and it, we'll we'll talk about it but like I think people have issues with this ending because it does ask you to come up with the interpretation. Get out of yeah. town. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's beautiful. I I think 9 times out of 10 if I'm crying it's 5 minutes before the credits of a Spike Lee movie. Right. Right. <sighs> Um, Corey's over here. <laughs> Corey knows just, the scene I cried in. Uh, when Denzel Please. creams his pants. Yes. I'm, it's not even a joke. Really? That is, <laughs> it Please, is. Please wait for me. It's incredible. Please you didn't, cr- me, you didn't tear up when he fucking gripped the tombstone of his dead the wife. The problem was is that scene comes right after the scene where he creams his pants. <laughs> so your your eyes are lubricated. You're ready to go. I know. it. The, the Part of the reason why the cream the pants scene gets me is because there's a perfect emotional buildup mm-hmm. and payoff to it. Whereas the scene where he goes to the to the graveyard and, and visits his wife's tombstone and clutches it is beautiful, but there's it's kind of quick. It just kind of happens pretty quickly. There's not like a huge buildup to it. And so I was I was watching that scene with tears in my eyes, but they were yeah, <laughs> tears they were of left cream. over. <laughs> Um, when we I, talk about the scene, I'll sort of try to explain what my emotions yeah. were going through that. But it got me in this in this in a way that no other scene of somebody creaming their pants <laughs> has ever done in the history of cinema. I can safely say it's the most beautiful scene of somebody jizzing in their pants I've ever seen. <laughs> um, um, yeah, I cry about that all the time. <laughs> uh, How did you feel about the music in this film? I loved it. I yeah. normally have I with so with Spike Lee's earlier work. I think his dad is scoring a lot of the Bill music. Bill Lee, mm-hmm. no shit. It's obviously he's incredibly talented. The issue I have is not with the composition of the music. It's with Spike's excessive use of music running through scene yeah. after scene after scene. It just blurs together. Spike's and style. Jungle Fever has some of the most powerful scenes in a fucking movie, and he has this like. Yeah. Like jazz music playing underneath it that's like very intense and energetic right and to me it doesn't juxtapose well with this with the two people shouting at each other because somebody just cheated on the other person you know mm-hmm. i want to let that see i want to let that drama play out i want to hear what the actors are saying i don't want this running through I don't know. I, I felt like with He Got Game, also very music heavy, but I did to like- To wall to wall. I like the compositions a lot, and well, I thought it worked th- really well. Yeah, with the- it depends on who he's got composing. Yeah. Terrence Blanchard is his typical, after his dad, you know, because Spike Lee had a falling out with his dad, Yeah, um, which kind of plays into the story of this film, which is about a falling out between father and son. Um, once Spike Lee stopped using his dad as a composer, he started using Terrence Blanchard, who I think is one of the best composers in cinema and so many of his scores are incredible and i mean it's it's like john williams and steven spielberg like it's hard to imagine spike lee movies without terrence blanchard's score in so much of them and i've seen interviews with terrence blanchard where he says you know the first time i ever worked with spike he told me he does not like subtle music. He does not want the music to be underscore. He wants it to be overscore. He wants it to be as much of an emotional narration as anything else in the picture. And he 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 wants it to have melody and and be big and uh make itself just as known as anything else. And for me, I so appreciate that because not a lot of filmmakers 
do that anymore, especially nowadays. I feel like the the score is such an afterthought for so many films nowadays. But Terrence Blanchard did not do the music for He Got Game. Spike chose to do Aaron Copeland, who who didn't technically score the film. He's cherry picking from Aaron Copeland's library. Aaron Copeland was a classic American composer. Yeah. And he sort of juxtaposes that with um, hip hop songs from Public Enemy, which yeah. is a return. You know, he worked with them in Do the Right Thing. Mm-hmm. And you get this cool juxtaposition of old school, classic Americana with the Aaron Copeland score with new school and like the modern music of the time of Public Enemy kind of playing along with each other. I would yeah. say there's more Aaron Copeland than there is Public yeah, Enemy. It works really well in like that first basketball pickup game that they do where it's like the yes. Western kind it's of- It's the beef, it's what's for dinner. Yeah. It's so good. Um, and that you could easily cut that scene together with like more energetic, you know, modern music or public enemy. I read a lot of reviews that complained, yeah. that, like reviews of the time that were like, what is Spike doing putting this like silly Aaron Copeland music behind these basketball games? Why isn't he using the great public enemy songs that he's got to score this basketball games? And it's like, because he wants to be innovative. He wants to be interesting and it's more emotional. He's also... Coming off of, um, in 1996, he did two movies. He did Girl 6 and Get on the Bus, which both have very heavy needle drop soundtracks. And I'll say they are some of the issues with those movies because he treats needle drops in those movies the same way he treats the Aaron Copeland score in in this movie. It's heavy handed. They are scoring the scenes. You'll have these really, like in Get on the Bus, which I think is a good movie, has these scenes with characters talking to each other that are really emotional but then there's this loud like r&b song with lyrics and everything completely soundtracking it that is clashing with the emotion of the scenes in it yeah it's not just like the loud energetic music juxtaposed with like the drama of the scene but it's like you said it's words any yeah. whatever the genre of music is when you have words under words it can bump. it's heavy it's it bumps and my gut is that part of that is that in the mid 90s like soundtracks were huge i think due to tarantino i think tarantino made like if you're going to make a movie you have an opportunity to make a high selling soundtrack and everybody saw that with pulp fiction and reservoir dogs so i think everybody including spike was probably trying to like get a soundtrack out of every movie but yeah clockers he's got like what seal songs mm-hmm. uh running through and girl six it's all print songs um but i felt like you mentioned needle drops i feel like crooklyn is loaded with needle drops yeah. but they're awesome needle drops. that's true because yeah. it brings you back to the time yeah. and you know speaking of tarantino he did have a feud with tarantino at this time did yeah so okay i knew about the feud, feud and then forgot about it mm-hmm. and then it got brought up recently he was and in the middle of it when he was making He Got So I, I tried to to dig back, but it's hard to find. So it's basically the feud that uh, what is part of it, his tweet about Django Unchained. No, it started way and before then, that. Way before Jackie the days Brown, of Twitter. Yeah. J- Jackie Brown in his 36 uses of the N-word. Exactly. Yeah. He Before Jackie Brown, Spike and, and Tarantino had a pretty cordial relationship. They both had been on the record talking um, positively about each other's movies. Spike had said he liked Reservoir Dogs of Pulp Fiction. He had acknowledged the influence of Tarantino 
you know, being a thing that is like sweeping the industry. And he was like, he's a fresh voice. It's going to happen. And he even put Tarantino in Girl 6. Tarantino is in Girl 6, a little cameo. But that's how friendly they were to like, they were working together. And then uh, Jackie Brown came out. And yes, it has an, it has an excessive use of the Mm N-word. And Spike, I think, clocked that and said like, I'm seeing a pattern here that I don't quite like. Yeah. It's making me uncomfortable because he had used the N-word in Pulp Fiction. He had used it in Reservoir Dogs. It's Every in, movie. It's in True Romance. And so the fact that not only was it in Jackie Brown, but it was used so much through it, it just rubbed him the wrong way. And so he called him out on it. Yeah, for excessive use. It's not like he wasn't saying you can't you use can it. never say exactly. that word in your film. He was just like, it seems like you're a little obsessed with the word. Yeah. Which he's not wrong. Tarantino yeah. is absolutely you can your mileage may vary on like how you feel about his use of the word. Yeah. But you really can't deny he likes to yeah. use it. Well the then word. he uses it over a hundred times in Django Unchained. Right. Almost feels like to spite Spike Lee. Yeah. And you know, you, Tarantino's whole defense is like, I am being true to the characters mm-hmm. and to the way that I, I I shouldn't have to filter my brain when I'm speaking through a character. And you know, that was his argument for Django Unchained too. He's like, this was the slave days. This is the way they would have talked. Um, again, I'm not defending it. I think Jackie Brown is a yeah. great film and I think it has some of the best dialogue ever, but could he have Cut down on the N-word, he probably could have. You know, there's a version where he could have done it and it had been just as good of a movie. Yeah. Um, and I completely understand anybody like Spike Lee who is like, it makes me feel uncomfortable. Well, he says he'll never, he'll never watch Django Unchained. Well, it turned like, into yeah. an actual feud because then Tarantino started responding. Yeah. And Tarantino started being like, fuck you. Yeah. And like, he's, if you want to talk to me, talk to me. Don't go out in the yeah. press and he's say He's vocal stuff. about it on Charlie Rose. Yeah. I was able to find some interviews there. But I don't doubt that the, the, uh, the Tarantino influence was on some of the soundtracks. And I think he was probably thinking about that with He Got Game as well. But I, I like that he, when he did He Got Game, he went back to the more traditional score with the Aaron Copeland stuff. And there's, I mean, there's like a double soundtrack here. There's an Aaron Copeland, a full-blown soundtrack for the Aaron Copeland stuff and a full-blown soundtrack Those for the public movie stuff. Those are the best movie. The, when movies have a composer, mm-hmm. a classic film composer working with some other element, either yeah. a group like Public Enemy or uh, like a DJ like Skrillex in uh, Harmony, <laughs> Harmony, <laughs> Harmony Kareem. I was like, uh, why did you say Skrillex? <laughs> spring, spring Breakers. Yeah, Spring Breakers. Like Clint spring breakers. Mansell, Skrillex and then yeah. they weave the stuff together too that's mm-hmm. such and then and then on top of that you add original co- he's not just using public enemies no music. yeah they wrote the music they for the wrote, film yeah and then there's a music video for the public enemy song mm-hmm. and it's so absurd Flava Flav literally has a clock a new clock on his <laughs> neck in every shot of that music video have I told you uh, my Flavor Flav at the movie theater story? You did, but remind me. <laughs> uh, so uh, this past Valentine's Day, Corey and I went and saw Jackass Forever for Valentine's Day <laughs> as our Valentine's Day date. It was a beautiful date. It was a very mm-hmm. fun time. Yeah. As the trailers are running, a group of people come shuffling into the theater and sit down right in front of us, and we can very clearly see... It's Flavor Flav. Mm-hmm. So there's probably like six of them total. So they all had dates. Mm-hmm. And we we're like, oh, that's cool. Flavor Flav's here. He's having the same idea as us. He's seeing Jackass Forever on Valentine's Day with his date. Um, so the movie starts and the theater is full. And of course, Jackass Forever is amazing. It was so funny. The theater is just erupting with laughter. Flavor Flav is not laughing. 
because I'm watching him. I'm see he's literally sitting right in front of us. Um, he's not laughing at anything. And the movie gets about an hour into it, and Johnny Knoxville sets up this gag where they're going to they've collected all this pig semen and they're going to surprise dump it on somebody. <laughs> And right after, Jesus. right after Johnny Knoxville sets up the the gag, Flavor Flav sits up, turns to the people he's with, and says, "This movie's fucking stupid. I'm out." <laughs> and he gets up and he leaves. You know, he might have a point. You could tell that his entourage didn't necessarily want to go. They were sort of like enjoying it, but they also felt like, "I guess we have to leave too." And so about. Two minutes later, they all kind of look at each other like, all right, let's go. And they all just kind of get up and file out of the theater. So yeah, Flavor Flav did not like Jackass forever. Wow. I wonder I wonder what his top 10 list is. Like Fableman's The Whale, Tar. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's take a quick break and we will be right. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Back. And we're back with Cinema Possessed, and we're talking He Got Game. And joining us now is everyone's favorite third <laughs> person in the room, Corey Clifford. Woo! Corey, we watched this movie together. We did. But you've seen this movie before. I have. Well, what, what did you think? What's your relationship? How do you like the film? I fucking love this movie. I cannot remember the first time that I watched it. I mean, as history has proven, I feel like it was probably with you. Mm. But I also don't know because I feel like there's like because my dad is hardcore into basketball mm -hmm. and he also loves Denzel. And like, I feel like maybe I watched it. So I, I don't know. I don't remember. Do you like sports movies in general? Love sports movies. They hook me. You get into the like got to win the game. Yes. Train up the I thing. mean, I'm a sucker for them. I love the montages. I want it all. I'm like, yes, I'm like rooting for the team. Do I you miss that in this movie at all? Does this do you feel like this movie would benefit from being a little bit? more of a traditional sports movie mm, no because it feels like it's a different story like the the sports of it is kind of in the background a bit mm -hmm. because all i'm thinking this whole movie is give me denzel every aspect he is a motherfucking 
snack yeah. in this movie. It's insane. He's so hot in this movie. He's just cool too. Yes, like, even he just walks the way he cool. walks he talks is cool. cool. Yes, it's like Denzel in his prime. Your son named Jesus Shuttlesworth. Yes, sir. Is your son considered the number one high school prospect in these United States of America? You know, some people rate him that high. Some don't. You know, two, three. Come on, Jake. Six. Come on. Be modest. You ought to be proud. You ought to be proud as a peacock. I've always been proud of my son, even before he was the number one prospect in the whole entire world. So you weren't modest after all, are you? God is working with me on that, son. The, the opening of this film is a, is a montage of all different varieties of people just shooting hoops mm-hmm. in various different places. Mm-hmm. They, you get a real taste of that Aaron Copeland score. It's, it's huge. It's very cinematic. <laughs> I just miss opening credit sequences. Or like the portrait, like the moving portraits, right? Yeah. Like instead, it's just not Beautiful, just photographs of people, but it's it's people standing looking at camera, mm-hmm. and it's gorgeous. You don't typically like opening credit sequences. No, you disassociate. You look at your phone. <laughs> you check out. You don't give them the time of day. This has. What I think is one of the most memorable okay. and beautiful opening yeah. credit sequences. Did you were you locked into this one? Locked in, thinking the whole time, I wish I would have stuck with basketball and yeah. played basketball. I think it's showing that like it's an all American sport because anybody can play it. The font is really cool. Mm-hmm. That like kind of edgy, sketchy font. And it says Spike Lee joint. Let's mm-hmm. talk about that for a second. He's really the only one who can get away with doing <laughs> something like that. That's called mm-hmm. a possessory credit. Um, and other people have tried to do their own joints, like Robert Rodriguez did like a Robert Rodriguez flick, but it always felt too try hard to me. Yeah. The other thing that, that Robert Rodriguez did for uh, Once Upon a Time in Mexico, he was a cinematographer for the movie. He was the composer for the movie and the editor for the movie. And the way he credited that was shot, chopped and scored by Robert Rodriguez. Yeah. <laughs> Because it's all like violent stuff. What does Tarantino do? Doesn't he have kind of a thing? Just a, you know, a film by Quentin Tarantino. Oh. Martin Scorsese does a Martin Scorsese picture. The thing that I hate the most nowadays is when people say, from visionary director. Because mm. that's so overused. Like, I think but that that's started like with Zack Snyder. I feel like. Or from the twisted mind. Yeah. And it's funny when it's like a person that is making their first film. You've never heard of them. So it's right. like, from the twisted mind of yeah. Jerry Dunk. <laughs> Like, who? <laughs> but Spike can get away with it, and he's been doing it for forever. And uh, I love, I love a Spike Lee joint. Spike Lee also the whole time while I was watching this movie, I was like, he is fucking loyal. So many of the same actors that yeah. he just uses the same actors over Rotating and over again. Cast. Mm-hmm. What a dream! And there's some really good ones in here, like Sweetness. The I'm the obsessed with this Thomas actor. Jefferson Bird, who plays the pimp Sweetness, who's in the 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 motel that Denzel mm-hmm. is staying at. He, he's yeah. in tons of Spike stuff. He's always good. It's mm-hmm. such a he's yeah. He, he's like the psychopath in Clockers. Yeah, yeah. He's. He's got so many funny lines yeah. in this too. He's just such a, such a real seeming person. Yeah, as well. he's like he remind he feels like uh, a Jack and Justin actor, yes. like yeah. the kind <laughs> of person that we like to cast. It's such a shame he 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 was murdered uh, in 2020. Yeah, oh man, he was shot to death. That's Ugh. awful. This is a very very sad because yeah, I would I would love to work with him. Bill Nunn, who plays Uncle Bubba, he's a regular. <laughs> he played Radio Rahim mm-hmm. in he's Do in the Right Thing. Every movie, it's he's a, so yeah. good. The man escaped. Yeah, Shaw Shane. Yeah, Clint Eastwood and Escape from yeah. Alcatraz. Yeah, he's like a movie. He's a cinephile. He references <laughs> yeah. Godfather too. Godfather. 
<laughs> he starts off so sweet and innocent in that scene and then just gets progressively yeah. more and that's the first, predatory. That's the first scene where you sort of discover that like he really can't trust any. Like Jesus is surrounded by people who just want to pick him yeah. dry. Ray Allen calls it out in the commentary, but he's like, why does Bubba have this vial of liquid on him <laughs> oh, at yeah. all times? And he, and he talks about it. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like, like his who, mojo. Yeah. Who Who's he using it on? <laughs> Use, it worked on your ass. Yeah. It says to his wife. <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> and Booger. Booger is also the, oh, yeah, Booger. the, the mm-hmm. son of him. Booger is played by Hill Harper. He's the only of the basketball team, of the rail splitters, that uh, Jesus' team. All of them are real basketball players except for Hill Harper. He's the only <laughs> He's actor. So little He's so little compared to all of them. It's he so made funny. Me, he made me emotional twice in the movie. One was that awesome like stand-up shot where it introduces all the basketball players yes. and he talks about how he feels. Because yes. he's like, I love sh- that. He's a little bit shorter, so he feels self-conscious about that. And mm-hmm. he's like, on the court, I feel handsome. Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> that made me emotional. And then when... Uh, Denzel and him reunite for the first time. So funny. And Denzel, but he starts off like he's, you could tell he's scared of his uncle. Yeah. yeah. And when Denzel compliments him, it's like, have you grown a little bit? It's like, it's unclear (laughs) if Denzel's just flattering him or if it's two, three inches. Yeah. (laughs) And he's like, that's the best thing I've heard all day. And in that scene, he's also wearing the baggiest clothes. So he could not look orange. Yeah. And it's matching his shoes. His shirt goes to his knees. (laughs) That introduction of the basketball player scene is really cool. Like, I like that Spike does. He does this with a lot of his movies where he kind of does mixed media where he'll when he does a flashback, it'll be shot on a different film stock. It'll often be grainier and have like a different process to it. And that's where he'll do the fourth wall breaking stuff, like having people look into camera and uh, slow motion. He also does a few times where he like cuts to a close-up of the actor's face, but it's like cross-dissolved onto the screen. He does it yeah. with Ned Beatty. He does There's it one with Lala yeah. and the, the, mm-hmm. the Ferris wheel is behind yeah. her. I loved it. Yeah, he's 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 an innovator. He he wants to like play around with the form, and he does it in all of his movies. What makes Spike so exciting? Lala's another one, Rosaria Dawson, that he has used multiple times. That's right. Yeah, twenty fifth hour, mm-hmm. and Lala. I I appreciate that the movie doesn't really hide Lala as just like they don't hide Uncle Bubba. Like you get. The first scene of Lala, you don't get anything. The she first seems scene nice. is so sweet. It like rem- I was. It really reminded me of like high school love. I was like, yeah. oh, they're so cute. They do have a cute little flirty relationship. So disappointing when it reveals I she's know. a traitor. I, I know. know, but it happens pretty quick. It's like yeah. maybe the next scene with her. She calls him on the phone, and she's like, "You need to talk to this guy." And you see his hand just oh, come yeah. up over her uh, shoulder. Such a brilliant way to reveal that too. It's like this. Sh- you know, something is up from the first shot. Yeah. Like the way she's lit, the wind. Mm-hmm. is like kind yeah, of blowing her spooky. hair close up she's like looking almost like off camera it's like what's going on yeah. and then you see the hand Ugh. slithering up you really do feel like the weight of the world is on it's it's perfect that his name is jesus because he's yeah. everybody's savior there's something shakespearean about this story to yeah. me like i can't compare it one to one to a shakespeare but there's something about that of like you lose your father and the father in the process kills your mother. And now you have to become the leader of the family and your success and your talent is bringing out the vultures. And so you're trying to navigate and take care of while everybody around you is trying to kind of leech off you because they're every character in this movie is, is a leech, including Denzel. You want Denzel to succeed, but he is still kind of just as leechy as Lala and Uncle Bubba and the sports agent, he wants something 
for his own gain, not for Jesus. He needs Jesus to make a choice so that he can gain, just the same way everybody else does. I want you to go to Big State, son. That's the real reason why I'm out here. That's the reason they let me out. You find it in your heart to go to Big State and uh, they may let me out on an early parole. So that's what this is all about, huh? That's a part of it. That's Jack, you just it. like everybody else. I like everybody else. I ain't like everybody else. Everybody else ain't your father. Everybody else ain't bring you in this world. Everybody else don't care about you, son. You don't believe, you don't think he also like wants to reconnect with his son? I of mean, course, like, he but wants he's, redemption. But he's just as much of a villain as anybody else in terms of Jesus's perspective. Denzel ruined his mm -hmm. life and, you know, really doesn't deserve sympathy from Jesus. Because the movie makes it very clear that not only did he make this mistake yeah. of killing his mother, but he was an ab a borderline yeah. abusive father to him. Completely, yeah. But I love it. That's one of the things yeah. I love about the movie. It's it's not cut and dry. I feel like if this movie was made today, they would either cut out all that stuff about Denzel being kind of a problematic person, or the movie would be very clear that like Denzel doesn't deserve this. Denzel is a bad character. I like that it's sort of making you flip-flop between having sympathy for him but also understanding how cruel of a of a person he was this movie to me is a prototype of everything that i love about film that makes me want to be a filmmaker and mm -hmm. i don't mean like i saw this movie and I'm like oh, i want to be a filmmaker i just mean like it has all of the elements yeah of what i feel is a good movie mm -hmm. all the cliches of like you know the score like mm -hmm. we were talking about um, but the story had like every we talk about every movie needs to have stakes. What are the stakes? Yeah. And I can't think of higher stakes than this. Yeah. Literally, he is released from prison in extraordinary circumstances, and his mission is to convince his son to enroll in the school of the alma mater of the governor mm -hmm. of New York. And if he can do so, then they'll supposedly shorten his shorten sentence, sentence, yeah. sentence i mean those are huge yeah huge stakes. it's a it's kind of a ludicrous concept yeah but i love it I love it's a it. perfect yeah. setup for a movie a perfect setup for a sports movie like right away i'm way more invested than any other sports movie that yeah. is just about kind of like we got to win this title yeah um, yeah how is he going to do it and then as he's out in the real world mm -hmm. you're learning through really brilliant cross-cutting. Like, I love the cross-cutting. The editing is great. This movie was edited by Barry Alexander Brown, who cuts pretty much all of Spike Lee's movies. Um, he also did Salam Bombay. Uh, the way information unfolds, the way they ha the way Spike handles flashbacks mm -hmm. in this movie, I think is really well done. They tell you in film school, don't do it, but that's yeah. bullshit. Because um, he, be he finds a unique way to do yeah. it. And he does it in a lot of his movies. Mm -hmm. it's, it's totally part of his style and aesthetic. Yeah. Everybody in this movie wants to know what Jesus's plan is. Where is he going to go to college? Is he going to go to the NBA? He doesn't want to tell anybody, but everybody wants to know. Of course, let's just talk about big time Willie. Roger Guinevere Smith, he picks Jesus up. He starts giving Jesus like, the rundown of like what to look out for, the cautionary tale of like what happens to celebrities in this town. And he's mm -hmm. like, you could be taken by drugs, alcohol, women. And as he's describing this stuff, Spike is doing that thing where he's cutting, he's flashing mm -hmm. to all these scenarios, but with people you don't know, just like, it's almost as if it's the people in the buildings that they're driving past. It's a really cool sequence. It reminds me a lot of the um, the sequence in 25th Hour when he's standing in the mirror and he's going, fuck the cab drivers, mm -hmm. fuck the Wall Street guys and you're flashing. It, he has a sequence like that in a lot of his movies. 
And I always love them. They're fun. They're yeah. very stylized. Yeah, it feels like the filmmaker talking, but it doesn't feel preachy. It mm -hmm. works. Yeah. yeah, it's like a monologue, a soliloquy by mm -hmm. a character that is really well written, but is is informative too. And he's not wrong about any of the things he's saying. Like this, he's it's probably good advice, even though he seems kind of like a slimy character. Yeah, he's so slimy, but I love that. I love scene. Roger Guinevere Smith. Yeah. He's, he's also one of Spike's guys. He soars with weird characters. Mm -hmm. yeah. This character, he's kind of creepy. He's plays Smiley and do the right thing. He's so good looking though that it like kind of works and then you are like, but you're weird. First thing that's gonna take you out is these drugs we got for you. Uh -huh. We got the cocaine, powers. You don't want none of that? And don't forget about the alcohol, baby. Yeah, we got that more liquor, AKA liquid crack. Yeah, I almost forgot. <laughs> they got that pussy. You know what I'm saying? All those hips, all those lips, all those honey, honey dips. dips. <laughs> it's like, what is a honey dip? <laughs> that scene and the whole conflict of the movie of, of Jesus trying to figure out what he wants to do. Yeah. Part of what I love about this as a sports movie is how much fucking emphasis it puts on getting a goddamn education. Like, mm. I really appreciate mm. that. It's cheesy, but it's like, this is Spike saying, you can ball, you mm -hmm. can be cool, but be smart. Get an education. Because he could go straight to the NBA. Yeah, he could go straight to the NBA. And I feel like that's what a lot of people do, obviously. They mm -hmm. take the money. But then I was worried about, I was like projecting in the sequel of this movie, he goes to college and he blows out his knee and then he never gets to go to the NBA and he never gets any money. Like, I was like, go to the NBA. Yeah, yeah but he could go to the NBA and still blow out his, imagine how awful that would feel to blow out your knee year one of NBA and you got nothing. But you didn't get nothing. You got that. Yeah, you sweet, got some cash, millions. but how long do you think that's going to last? That made me said all the people who were trying to use him was his basketball coach when it like at the beginning yeah. is like i've you've all i've always treated you like a son you. like mm -hmm. i'm like a father to you and and they let that sit for like the first half of the movie we were like well okay maybe he is sweet but he wants and then he brings him money. in and he gives him that ten thousand dollars another good movie that deals in this is blue chips the william friedkin movie which also uses real bet shacks in that movie uses real basketball players but it's all about the corruption in the college recruitment process. Mm -hmm. Great ESPN montage that happens. Mm -hmm. I really liked that because they're using real coaches yeah. and real basketball players. Michael Jordan even pops up right at the end. He goes, mm -hmm. he got you. <laughs> this Mike does such a good job of making you believe in the fiction of this yeah. world yeah. and of this basketball I, player. I'm curious if he like maybe got them to do it. You I know what I mean? So, like yeah. it feels like yeah. an authentically produced ESPN yeah. thing. So the song that's used in that is called Black Jesus by Tony Luisi. And it's an NFL films piece of music that I just recently tried to find. And it's like almost unfindable. Jesus of Coney Island. Jesus is the best thing to happen to the game since the tennis shoe was invented. Jim Phelan from Mount St. Mary's used to say, he gives me a tingle. And I think that's what Jesus does. He just, uh, he makes you excited to watch. Jesus shows He's the next I cannot find it for the life of me. And I'm a pretty good internet sleuth. Nobody's uploaded it to YouTube. Mm. If any listeners out there can track this song down, it's called Black Jesus by Tony Luisi. And I know that NFL Films has put out like box sets of their music. Maybe it's on one of those, but I can't track it down. So I would be forever grateful. Email us at cinemapossessedpod at gmail.com <laughs> if you can track that down because I just, the song is cool. Mila Jovovich, how do y'all like her? Love, this is one of the best performances I've ever seen of her. Yeah, she's so good. I've always liked Mila Jovovich. Mm -hmm. The first time I think I ever saw her was in Fifth Element. Yeah. She's so endearing in that movie. Yeah. yeah. So Fifth Element, Resident Evil, what are her bit, what, what else do people know her so from? So my favorites are 
The Fifth Element, this movie, and A Perfect Getaway. Mm. Have you seen A Perfect Getaway yet? Um, I saw it when I when it first came out, but I, I don't Justin, remember too much please. about it. It is, it is such so a good movie. Good. And she's great in it. She's the best. She really is. That's It's funny because I feel like because of the... Um, video game movies Mm -hmm. i just that's all i thought of her as like an action video game actor but looking back on all of her films she's got some bangers in there and she's so good in all of them yeah i agree i fell in love with her in fifth element um (laughs) multi-pass i did lies Um, I did like the first Resident Evil just because I was such a fan of the the video games, and she makes it fun. And she's uh, and her her husband is Paul W S Anderson, and he puts her in all of those movies. That's a good husband. That's a good husband. Yeah, but mm-hmm. she's there's like six or seven Resident Evil movies, and yeah. she's the star of all of them. And she's kicking. She's a model turned action star. Yeah, yeah. it's amazing. So that she, couple is making so much money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good for them. She and Denzel meet. She's staying in the same she's place. She's so cute and funny. Like her comedy is so cute. Oh yeah, I, lo- I love her lines. Like so, he he she get she's getting beaten by Thomas Jefferson Bird by Sweetness. Sweetness leaves and Denzel Washington comes in, and he's like, "Hey, you okay? I heard heard you going on." She's like, "I didn't hear you knocking on the door, and I was getting my ass beat." <laughs> And she's like, what do you want? You want to have sex? He's like, no, I'm not like that. She's like, you got a dick, don't you? Yeah, you got balls, don't you? Both of them. Both yeah. of them. That's, that's the magic that Denzel brings. It's like those yes. little details. Yeah. That- Spike gets to complain a lot that he has too much in his movies. And this one, I think, did the reviews that I read all said he, he goes down too many paths. The movie's not focused. It should have just been about the father-son thing. I completely disagree. disagree. I think this movie yeah. covers... So much fertile ground and and delivers on it all. And I think this stuff with Mila Jovovich is, is great too and crucial and important for the Denzel character. It shows another side of him. You get to see the sweetness with him in a romantic way with her. And then you get to see the sweetness with him a lot with his daughter. The father-daughter yes. relationship was so mm-hmm. sweet in the movie. Which I, I love that girl. I'm so oh bummed gosh, she's not in more movies. She was amazing in Crooklyn. Yes. And then he gives her this role. She's and- so funny. I don't think there's any alleyway that this movie goes that isn't fully fleshed out and and necessary for the film, in my opinion. I agree. Can we not talk about the? Can we not go into the come come pants scene? Sure. I mean, we're there. So yeah, they're they've sort of bonded as like two wounded people. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's not the most emotional setup, but the second they not start emotional, <laughs> the second they start kissing. His vulnerability comes out in that. And I think what's emotional about that scene to me is that she recognizes it and becomes very caring towards him. He like takes her to the bed and they start making out and it seems like they're going to start it. And then he asks her to to flip over onto her stomach and he kind of starts dry humping her with his pants still on and very quickly comes in his pants mm-hmm. and at this point in the movie we're sitting here and i kind of look over at jack and i'm like i'm not trying to like laugh at him because i don't want to make him feel bad but i fully see and he looks at me and tears are going well, down okay his face. you're you're jumping the gun though because i'm not crying when he creams in his pants right then yeah, he, yeah Corey, don't get premature <laughs> yeah come on he sits up and he's like shamed what he did and she comes up behind him and tells him that it's okay 
and says like the meter's off we got all night we can we can try this again and they like hold each other and that that's when i was like this is really touching. It's it's not like I'm not crying because he creamed in his pants. It's like th- no, it's- I get it. It's sweet. It's sweet that that made you cry. It was just funny that that is the part in the movie because there's so many emotional parts in the movie to me that like I was getting teary eyed in. He's this is the most vulnerable scene that he's that he's in in the moment, and the music is really beautiful in it. And before this, they have this relationship with each other where they're kind of like, you know, nitpicky at each other. You yeah, know? they're like nagging each other. Yeah. But in this moment, they're just like, there's a mutual understanding that like, we're both these sort of like hurt people and, you know, they need some caring. They need some caring. I get really frustrated when I'm watching a movie and all I want to do is let the tears come pouring out and I'm watching it with somebody, especially like a partner. And I can feel them turning their heads. Like they're not crying at all because they're stone cold. (laughs) And they're turning and they're looking at me. And I'm just, I can feel them looking at me. And I'm like, don't look at me. I want to cry. I want to cry. And I get mad. I was like, I just want to like, I want you to watch the movie, have your emotional experience. I want to watch the movie, have my emotional experience. I get get embarrassed. I don't want somebody to see me. I will like scream. I'll like have to hold in scream cries in movies. It just, I think because on this podcast thus far, Jack has cried in every episode. It's very sweet. I mean, yeah, I can't really explain why I cried. I was embarrassed. Because, because you I was started like, laughing well, afterwards. I, and that's actually how I saw that you were really crying. Because I was like, is he crying? This is going to come across as as like maybe uh, pro- uh, insensitive to you, Jack. But <laughs> my, as we've gotten to know each other, my generalization about you and me is that I'm more emotional than you Uh (laughs) and I don't see you often like express yourself in general let alone to me so it's a night it's a happy surprise I'm like giddy about all of this because I want to see you let loose I want to see you let those tears yeah I mean that's why I like movies it's my it's the only it's the way I can break my toxic masculinity (laughs) that like prevents me from being emotional in real life I can like channel it through the emotions of the characters in the film and yeah the scene just got me let's talk about the grilled cheese scene oh man don't don't tell me you brought in grilled cheese. <laughs> no, I didn't. But that I was tempted. Steamed with a. With I honestly iron. thought the grilled cheese looked good. Honestly, yeah. I will never forget this scene. I remember the first time I saw it, I was like, it burned into my brain that he's he doesn't have a stove in his motel, and so there's a scene where Denzel has a brown paper bag, two pieces of bread with cheese. He's spraying the bread with Pam, putting it inside the brown paper bag, and then using an an iron for clove for iron and clothes to to grill this cheese you know inside of this brown paper bag and honestly it's brilliant it looks like it's gonna taste fucking good yeah i mean when he pulls it out and takes a bite you can hear a little bit of that crispity bread on there mm-hmm. do you guys have any sort of secrets to grilled cheese uh i take a tall pot lid mm-hmm. and I put it over the grilled cheese mm-hmm. in the cast iron mm-hmm. skillet so mm-hmm. that this and I put sometimes so I you put want a little it to bit, be a little bit moist you want that like you want the, well it just really helps to make the cheese if you make a grilled cheese sandwich and you don't do that it takes the bread burns before mm-hmm. the cheese melts so I have my trick to it the perfect grilled cheese that I like to do one you got to use a lot of butter mm-hmm. ideally use some sourdough bread but any white bread will do 
I think too using American cheese over anything because mm-hmm. it melt it has that stretchy melt better than cheddar better than Gruyere any of that stuff just do American if you can do craft singles you're probably going to have yourself a good grilled cheese but the in terms of the it's kind of like low and slow don't heat the pan up first build your sandwich cold put the cold sandwich on the cold pan then turn the heat up, and as the pan is warming up, it's melting the cheese before it's actually burning the bread. Mm. So that by the time the bread starts to toast, your cheese is already good and melted, so you don't have to have it on there for that long. But don't crank it too high either. Like so bring the, it only up to about pro- the only problem with that is I like to butter and toast both sides of both pieces of bread. That's mm. And you can't do that with- You can't do that yeah. with that, no. Also, I like to add a little bit of mayo on the inside too. Ooh, I was gonna ask what other accoutrement do you put bacon. on Just mayo? Bacon. Oh yeah, and, you could do well, mayo. Well, during no, the pandemic, my friend Stacy and I did all these cooking challenges and we did the Chrissy Teigen mm-hmm. cookbook and her grilled cheese is phenomenal. And you put jalapenos in the bread too that you grilled I mean, on, and good. cheese yeah. on mm, top. That's good. I mean, it was a very gourmet style. I think when I'm wanting a grilled cheese, I'm like looking for that childhood, mm-hmm. just plain. Yeah, I mean, maybe some tomato, tomato soup. soup. Yeah. But I want to be able to cut it and stretch that cheese. And that's where that American comes in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you also want that perfect golden brown too. Do you imagine a blue cheese grilled cheese sandwich? It'll yeah. be really take good. The, take or the American really bad? I, bet I think you if you there did have the to American be a mixture sprinkle, of different cheeses. Like yeah, blue sprinkle cheese, a little bit of yeah. the blue. What do you think about uh why do you think Spike didn't put himself in this movie? That's a good question. His voice is in it. Mm-hmm. Did you hear that? Yeah. In the commentary? Um, yeah. What does he say? Is uh, I want to get my freaky deaky swerve on. Yeah. <laughs> he does that too. There's like a he he puts his voice in like Black Klansman. You yeah. can hear him going like boom shakalaka in yeah. like the crowd scene. He's in like all, in all of his early movies. He's like a prominent part. And he's a good in, actor in all of them. And mm-hmm. he's good. Yeah. Unlike, Do you think M Night took his uh, sure. cue from him? Well, I think he took to it from himself? from Hitchcock. Yeah. But mm. Yeah. I'm sure he was inspired. Yeah, but Spike does it better because yeah, Spike isn't Spike's giving a really himself. Good actor. Yeah. He's a good too. actor. He's, he's good not actor. giving himself like a uh, wink, parts. wink moments. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's giving himself full characters. Yeah. Mookie is the is the character yeah. do the right he's thing. He's so yeah. good in that movie. Mars Blackman from She's Gotta Have It. Yeah. Um, and the style. Okay. Also, the style in this movie just Mars reminded me because he's iconic looking. I wish that I was rich enough to be a sneakerhead because I'm obsessed with sneakers. And I love that the first thing that he does when he gets out of prison is going by the Jordans. new Jordans. Mm-hmm. Did you ever have a pair? I never had a pair of Jordans. No. Did me neither. You? Do they? Uh, I had I, Iversons were the only basketball shoe I ever bought. Mine were always just whatever you know was sitting there at the store. <laughs> yeah. Again, my parents did not like. It was a struggle to get my parents to give me twenty dollars to buy a DVD. They will not spend yeah, there was $150 no way yeah, I was on way, a pair We were of way shoes. too poor growing up. To yeah. <laughs> they were yeah. like, you wear them out in one year. Yeah. I think like, if a shoe hit $60, it was at its max price yeah. point. My oh mom my God, took me yeah, to no. Payless. Payless is where yeah. I got all my shoes. Yeah. <laughs> like dad, I'm wearing white dad sneakers. When Adidas were like really in the, what, like the three stripe Adidas. <laughs> we, my best Marion, who I've brought up on here before, she was the same that Walmart had an off brand that had forced stripes and we Ooh. would wear those and it was really <laughs> embarrassing. 
<laughs> oh my god! If you count those strikes, you know. I'm just like I, I look at Air Jordans and I just don't see the comfort. Like I'm a I'm all about Hoka's now. Have you worn Hoka's? <laughs> yes, I. Have those are dad shoes, but one they're back in style. They're cool, and uh, two the TikTok girlies made those popular. Really, yeah, it doesn't yeah. surprise me. Yeah, I think Gen, but I'm grateful. Like I'm so glad Gen Z is like eating this stuff up. I'm not wearing it for fashion mm. i'm wearing it because the platform is like four <laughs> inches looks like i'm wearing high heels all across my feet i'm four inches taller and and no joke like people talk about comfortable shoes all the time like feeling like you're walking on clouds mm -hmm. but no joke These you're walking clouds? on clouds i got my dad to buy them my girlfriend to buy them everyone i talk to it's like you're in club hoka like oh are those uh -huh. hokas yeah. like everybody gets it and and they're 150 bucks or like uh 50 bucks cheaper than air jordans today mm -hmm. and uh, I have two pairs now. And but Air Jordans, your Hoka's, you're wearing your everyday shoe. You're going mm -hmm. on. You want to go on a nice walk. You're putting those mm -hmm. on. Air Jordans, you are not wearing on a walk. You are wearing to go out to dinner. You are wearing to go out to Air Jordans a, for dinner. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Well, any like nice just sneaker, you're, it's just now. for fashion. Yeah. So there's a flashback. We finally get the flashback sequence Ugh. where we see exactly what happened to Jesus's mom. This is a very intense sequence. Starts with a basketball game. We get to really see Denzel pushing Jesus so hard that Jesus actually throws the basketball over the fence, quits, and storms away. Jake has been drinking. He's definitely drunk in this sequence. You know, when you throw that ball over the fence, it got lost. You know that, right? Pay my heart on money for that basketball. You know that, don't you? Well, we can always buy a new basketball. Yeah, we don't need a new ball, okay? had a ball already. Besides, you need to learn how to respect other people's property. The ball belonged to me, not to him. Mommy, come ask you. No, you cannot. Sit your ass down. So I'm finished. Yeah, well, you ain't excused, though. Done, now, I ain't done. Sit your black ass down. It's and uh, Denzel go. ends up going after Jesus sort of violently. And when his mother steps in to, to sort of restrain him, Jake Shuttlesworth shoves Jesus' mom. It's hard to tell exactly what happened. She either hits her head on the counter. Hits her head and it kills her or breaks her neck or something. But like this scene to me is like the kind of scene that I think is actually important for kids to see. Uh -huh. You know, as a kid, you think you can punch people. You, you watch movies and you see people get knocked out by a punch. And you kind of think like, oh, if I just wanted to like stop somebody, I could knock them out. Scenes like this show you that like how fragile a human body can be. Mm -hmm. And... I, it's like, I, this is another scene like the grilled cheese sandwich that was burned into my brain of like, somebody could just die if you like knock them over the wrong way. This scene made me cry because when he realizes what he did, it's like, obviously Denzel's in the wrong in the scene, yeah. but it's so heartbreaking because it's an accident. Mm -hmm. And when he's like, is like calm telling Jesus to call an ambulance. Right. It's just like, oh, it makes my stomach hurt even thinking about yeah. it. Yeah, it's worse than an accident though. I mean, like yeah. you don't ever shove of course. anybody. So that should never have even happened. Yeah. But like, yeah, that, that's the demons that he has to deal with. That's like the thing that you're like the one, you can just like look back on your mm -hmm. life. Like if I just wouldn't have done this yeah. one thing. Mm -hmm. I know it's that one thing though, but it's a mentality that breeds that kind of behavior for sure. For, sure. Yeah. for sure yeah i noticed too in the flashback scenes 
Denzel doesn't have any tattoos. Like in the movie, mm. he has that uh, prayer hands tattooed on his neck. And then you see him once laying in bed shirtless and he's got like a big cross on his chest. But in the flashbacks, the prayer hands are not tattooed on his neck, which leads me to believe that he found religion in prison. Because he says in the, in the next scene, they're on the boardwalk, they meet up and Denzel tells Jesus the origin of his actual name, which is not Jesus from the Bible, but he was named after a famous basketball player named Earl Monroe, who played for the Knicks. And he was nicknamed Jesus because of how good of a player he was. So I don't think he was a religious person until he went to prison. Yeah. I like that detail too. Denzel says, you know, he couldn't just be Jesus. He was black Jesus. Yeah. Once know? the media got a hold of it, yeah. they had to call him black Jesus. And then I like that, you know, he's naming his son Jesus, and he's just Jesus, Jesus. Mm -hmm. you know? Spike's good with names. Yeah. He's it, all his movie character. Mookie's a great name. Mookie's Flipper, such a good name. Gator, Booger. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you have a name like Spike, you just get used to having a cool, crazy mm -hmm. name. And yeah, so and you make sister, all your characters have cool names. His sister, Joy. Mm hmm. Who does not make a cameo in this movie, unfortunately, but she usually has some mm -hmm. sort of. A I love, I love her. that she's yeah. in all of his movies. Mm -hmm. It's so sweet. So he ends up having the one on one game with. With his dad. Do you, okay, do you guys, I'm sure you, maybe they even talk about this in the commentary, but about how in that scene, Denzel wasn't supposed to score at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 11 to zero. And he- He actually scored. Yes. And Ray Allen was like, his acting coach was like, you're not supposed to let him score. He's like, I can't help it. Like That's I can't. not the acting coach's territory. <laughs> <No>. Back off. <laughs> Denzel just wanted to score one point. He but five. he ended up getting mm -hmm. a couple of lucky shots in there and he got five. I love in movies when they imply, they show in this movie, but you don't see necessarily the height of Jake and his basketball prowess. People talk about it. It reminds me of like Unforgiven, where the way people would talk about Clint Eastwood being a monster mm -hmm. back in the day, but you don't ever really see it. You don't see flashbacks. Right. Like there's not really, he doesn't really commit any violence until the end of the movie. Right. But it's just like the legend. And people, you know, uh, Roger Smith talking about, it, he's like, you know, your dad yeah. could play some could ball yes. back in the day. Which is in, in line with the typical character of mm -hmm. like a sports parent. They mm -hmm. usually were a pretty good athlete who probably thought they were going to go pro yeah. and didn't. And so they're yeah. now trying to fulfill that dream through their children. Yeah. The basketball scene between father and son felt extra exciting to me because it captured this feeling I don't know who who else can relate to this, but, you know, when you're a child and you have like a strong father figure who is better at everything than you and also physically stronger than you and you cross that threshold or for the first time in your life, you're stronger than your dad or your dad can't like push you around anymore. Yeah. There, that is an unbelievable feeling to have as a child of like, not necessarily surpassing your father, but just like you're not under their You met their match. Yeah, exactly. That basketball scene is kind of like a realization of that, you know? For sure. That, that got me a little bit emotional. And too. it's bittersweet like, yeah, too, yeah. because he pummels him. He doesn't sign the paper and then he watches him get put back in handcuffs and brought away. And you can tell that it hurts to mm -hmm. have to watch him do that. Then we get to the end and we find out that 
He did choose to go to Big State, but it doesn't actually make a difference for Denzel. It's so heartbreaking. um, Because they kind of screwed him and he's going to have to stay there anyways. And, you know, they're crossing their fingers. They can do something for him. But technically, you didn't get him to sign the papers. Yeah, it was a sting. And so the final scene in this movie, the final sequence is you see Jesus. He's at Big State. He's on a court throwing a basketball into the hoop. It's cross-cutting with his father, Jake, in prison, throwing a basketball in the hoop of the prison yard. And Jake stops and decides he's going to throw the basketball over the prison wall. And when he does, the basketball in a, in a, in a magical realist moment comes flying into the stadium where Jesus is at, big state, and lands on the court. He catches it basically, and he mm-hmm. looks up to the sky, and and um, the ball is literally in his court. The ball's in his court. Yeah. What is, what is your what is your take on that ending? Uh, like if I liked it, or what I feel like the meaning of it is. Or? Yeah, all all of the above. Does does it is it powerful to you? And do you like what is your interpretation? Um, it was incredibly powerful mm-hmm. for me. It this scene definitely made me cry. Me too. Every time I watch it. Um. Again, the music. The music. So powerful. Yeah, the juxtaposition. It's a bittersweet ending. It's not really um, a happy ending, but it is at the same time. Denzel doesn't have his freedom. That's not good. Right. The fact that you have a filmmaker who can tell such a grounded story and then disrupt that with this visual metaphor that is out of this world and it takes it further than any sort of realistic grounded ending can can do it. I yeah. mean it just it's the le- it's him the father passing on the legacy. Yeah. It's the ball is in in his court. What are you going to do now? What are you going to do with this life? I don't have a life anymore. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do with the life that 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 you have? Um there's hope for his son. There's right. not really much hope for Jake, but I feel like there was a little bit of hope with it though that like the fact that he chose that school and then the basketball bouncing. I don't know. It felt like there was a bit of hope of them having a relationship again. It's like a mending. Yes. Like that there was some type of forgiveness. But only in his heart. Not well, like they're not going to be reunited exactly. in a it's, Disney it's a, sort of it's way. It's almost like a um, telepathic. Yeah. He can like go now. Exactly. Because he had, it's like if you just hold on to that hatred like that's what you're going to turn into and it felt like by him choosing the school for his dad it was like him releasing that yeah to me the metaphor it all goes back to the night that his mom was killed when they're on the court jesus he throws the basketball over the fence and i think that's the moment where he gives up on his dad and so by denzel throwing the ball back over and Jesus catching it and holding it, it's like him saying, I'm I'm taking you back. I'm, I no longer, I w- you're my dad again. Their last actual moment together is cold hearted. Mm-hmm. They didn't get a real moment to actually redeem their relationship, but in their souls. Yeah. And of course, the soul is represented by basketball. Oh, it makes me cry. It's beautiful. About well, that's, it. that's the beauty of a visual metaphor. Yeah. Like that's what mm-hmm. cinema can do. It's what only do. movies can yeah. do. Mm-hmm. And what only people bold enough like Spike do. Yeah. But then it's like, how, why is it so upsetting to so many people? Because how is that a dumb? <laughs> <laughs> you, you just have to be 
open to watching movies in that kind of a way in order to understand it. Then we get a final credit sequence and Spike does this in a lot of his movies where he lets the credits roll with this sort of fun montage where it's almost like the bloopers and deleted scenes. And I love it because Spike uses the whole Buffalo. It's like, these are clearly scenes that like either got cut or weren't meant to be like full scenes, but he's letting you get a glimpse of all these moments while the credits roll. Did you have a favorite shot in the movie? Favorite shot. Did you? Two, yeah. The Denzel hugging the tombstone, the crane mm. shot. Other shot I liked is when Denzel's banging the basketball against the wall. Oh, yeah. So and the good. camera goes through and sees Mila. Oh, yeah. Fuck me, baby. Yeah, Come fuck on. Fuck me. me hard, huh? <laughs> and it's like he's bouncing the ball to the rhythm yeah. of them banging. It was just a funny shot, well done, said a lot with very little mm-hmm. um, clever. IMDb has two credited cinematographers for this movie. Mm-hmm. One of them is Malik Saeed, mm-hmm. who did a lot of music videos. He shot Clockers. He also yeah. shot Belly. Well, he's that. So he's the actual DP of he's, the movie. He's the actual yeah. DP. I don't understand why Ellen Kuras is also. She was Chicago unit. Oh. She only shot pickup shots in Chicago. That makes sense. Yeah. I know her from Eternal Sunshine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's great. Yeah, she's amazing. You know, there's like a Robert Richardson quality to a lot of the mm-hmm. cinematography. I found an American Cinematographer article because she shot Summer of Sam. And what I discovered in that American Cinematographer article is that it's probably the gaffer because the gaffer is Reinhardt Peschke. Mm-hmm. He was a gaffer for this movie. He was a gaffer for Summer of Sam, but he was also the gaffer for JFK and Natural Born Killers. He was a Richardson gaffer as well. Mm. And so and for those who don't know, the gaffer is basically the, the person who is in charge of the lights themselves. Like he, that person will talk to the, the cinematographer, decide the look of it, but it's the gaffer's job to actually make the lights yeah shine the way they shine in the film yeah so he would know how robert richardson lights scenes exactly and i'm sure it was like give us the richardson treatment on some of these oh there was that did you hear in the commentary that scene where where ray allen was (laughs) the scene with the coach trying to give him money Uh they put the light so close to ray allen's shoulders that it was actually melting his skin (laughs) oh my it was like burning him did you see this did you see the smoke coming yeah you can literally see the smoke coming off of his back (laughs) and he's fidgeting and it works so well in the scene because the coach is trying to get him to give him information he's making him uncomfortable and he was like i was so physically (laughs) uncomfortable because the light was burning the hell out of me uh let's take a quick break and then we'll be right back i do have even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. 
Sign up with code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. To And we're back with Cinema Possessed. Uh, final thoughts. Justin, are you going to keep this DVD? Or are you going to trash this DVD? Help, or are you going to upgrade? Help me out. I don't know. Because I love the movie. I want to maintain possession of it. I don't like this DVD. It's not a way to watch the movie, mm-hmm. you know? And if you are watching it on a TV where you can zoom in and correct the aspect ratio, that you're degrading the quality Yeah, you're still going to get a, a lesser product. So, and there's no bonus features. There's no audio commentary, but I don't want that version. You yeah, have. I mean, you have to, you, I think you have to just ask yourself, what do you care about more? The actual disc on the shelf or being able to watch the highest quality version of the movie? You have the option of a commentary if you want to. And you're getting two for the price of one. What in twenty fifth hour too? Do you think we could? What if all? What if us? All of our followers tweeted at Kino Films and demanded a cop, a print, a fresh print of He Got Game. They've been doing it sure. for all his other movies. Work harder to get this movie. Hit Criterion up while you're at it, maybe because they got a few yeah. spikes. Oh man, the Malcolm X 4K mm-hmm. Criterion looks yeah. so good. Are they do? Are they doing Jungle Fever too? Did Ki- I see that? Kino is. Kino is I don't, okay. Yeah. What I want to do is like maybe just pass this on to somebody who hasn't seen the movie, you know, one of the. So are you going to put it up for contest? Put it up for adoption and, and all. <laughs> adoption. All, Adopt a DVD. Yeah. All, <laughs> that's, a I, good, that's a good way to put it. We're putting our DVDs up for adoption. Exactly. <laughs> and I, I believe that this will this will be reissued. Oh, yeah. On a, in a, a Blu-ray sure. or a 4K UHD that'll be worth collecting so it's like i don't have to upgrade right now because i do not want that on my shelf Mm -hmm. but i will uh i appreciate revisiting the movie for the podcast it's in my memory banks again Mm -hmm. and so yeah i'm I'm happy to pass this on i feel the same way i'm gonna hold on to mine i i have the the aforementioned blu-ray double movie uh i don't love it i don't love that i have to file it either under 25th hour or he got game but i have it it's the best quality version so until a new version becomes available. I'm going to stick to it. Love the film. Favorite sports movie of all time. Corey, any final thoughts? Loved it. Denzel. Snackity snack. Ugh, he's just so, he's so good. Like he is for sure one of the best actors of all time. Yeah, he's he the might, most, he's, he's the, the dictionary definition of like a movie star to me too, because he, could be doing anything he's just so charismatic he's so believable in every type of role that he plays Ugh, he's just the best he's so good well now that we've said everything there is to say about he got game what do you say we play jesus 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 It's a biblical name. No kidding. So uh, the object of the game is I'm going to describe a famous Jesus, and you have to tell me who portrayed them and what film. You got to play these games, too. This ain't fair. Well, 
it's one of us would have to invent the yeah. game then. Come up with a game. I'll play it. Yeah. yeah. So each, each question is worth two points. You get a point for the name of the actor and you get a point for the movie itself. There are clues within the questions. So uh, hopefully you'll be able to get them, but it is not multiple choice. You got to come up with these off the top of the dome. All right. Question number one. This passionate Jesus survived a dislocated shoulder, pneumonia, Justin. hypothermia, Corey. and being struck by lightning uh, while taking his Christ, Hang on, Jim Listen to the Don't question. need you to finish. Passion of the Christ, Jim Caviezel. It's the only one I'm going to know. For the, for the listeners who maybe wouldn't know this, I want them to hear the full thing. This passionate Jesus survived a dislocated shoulder, pneumonia, hypothermia, and being struck by lightning while taking his turn on the cross, and now spreads the gospel of QAnon, <laughs> believing that rich people are harvesting the blood of children for their adrenaline. Jim Caviezel. I can't no, Justin said it for. I Justin can't believe first. you threw passionate into the description. You should have left that off because then it would have yes. been a little bit more. The struck by lightning, though. I feel like we've yeah. talked about this yeah. so many times. So, what's the answer, Justin? You you called your name first. Passion of the Christ, Jim Caviezel. Two points for Justin. You better leave all of that in to show that I did know it too. It's not a competition. It's it exactly is. a it competition. <laughs> Question number two. This Oscar-nominated Jesus is known for his gap-toothed, devilish grin and a penis so big it was Justin. once doubled by a smaller, <laughs> less distracting penis for a graphic sex scene in a controversial horror film. Excited Willem Dafoe, Last Temptation of Christ. His dick is so big that Huge. they had to use a... Huge. Yeah, Lars von Trier. For Antichrist, there's a graphic sex scene at the uh -huh. beginning of the movie in which you see penetration. So big they had to get a porn star. And the, the, the rumor is is that they were intended to show Willem Dafoe actually his actual penis, but his dick was so large that Lars von Trier <laughs> decided it would be distracting, so he actually brought in a double with a smaller penis. Wow, what a, a cop-out. No wonder Willem <laughs> Dafoe has such confidence on the screen. Yeah. You actually can. There is a YouTube video of him doing um, live theater when he was like in his early 20s where he gets completely naked, and you can see that schlong. What, who who do you think is bigger, him or Fassbender? Mm, that's a great question, because Fassbender's pretty large. <laughs> She's packing a lot of heat. <laughs> wow. Which you can see in the movie Shame. All right, question. Justin has four points. Korea has zero. Corey, you got to step it up. Go fuck yourself. We're there's on the only same team. we're on the same team. There's only Thanks, three more Justin. questions. Question number three. This ballsy Jesus rolled onto the scene speaking in the third person and became an instant cult favorite amongst movie loving stoner dudes. Justin, Big Lebowski, John Turturro. Damn. That's correct. <laughs> Nobody fucks with the Jesus. Mm -hmm. Question number four. This funny man, Jesus, appeared before Mary Catherine Gallagher in her 1999 spin-off movie and was fascinated by her CD player. I mean, I know the movie, but I don't know. Okay, you can get a point if you know the movie. Uh, superstar? I'm gonna just take a wild guess, Will Ferrell? Ori! Hell yeah! Points Will on Ferrell the board. Plays a character named Jesus? He plays Jesus. Christ. Christ wow. himself in the movie Superstar. Final question. Okay, well, one time when it was, I, just, I mm -hmm. was gonna win, you gave the final question to be right. like 10,000 points. That is true, which is why this final question <laughs> is worth four points. Great. So whoever wins, wins. This is a hard one, guys. Wait, I thought I have six points. You have four points. Hmm? I got three right. Yeah. Okay, so, so this, this one's worth, worth five points. So, oh, come on. <laughs> 
Because <laughs> I don't have a tiebreaker. This one's worth 1,000 points. This one's worth five points. This Jesus was no joke when he rose from the ashes, starring alongside his wife. Uh, Corey. Okay. It's Joaquin Phoenix, but I don't know what the movie title is. Mary, uh, uh, the Virgin Mary. Not Jesus. What, repeat the question again? This Jesus was no joke when he rose from the ashes, starring alongside his wife. Mary. That's not the full title. Mary of Bethlehem? Not Jesus. Hmm. Mary. Not ringing any bells. Mary, mother of God? Not Jesus. <laughs> Mary, mother of Jesus. Not Jesus. Mary Christ? <laughs> Not Jesus. I think this may end up being a tie game if nobody can get Mary it. Mary Magdalene? Jesus. It's a close call, but Justin wins. Oh, Jesus. Woohoo. Good job. And that, my friends, is the show. Wait, before we go. Can you stop the music? I wanted to see I wanted to see what else you're doing, what else you're watching, what else you're reading, what else what what is on your mind these days? Hmm. Currently reading Sea of Tranquility. What is that? Um, it's by the same woman who wrote uh, Station Eleven. Mm. If you watch that, it's. Um, Did you like that show? I, it's a book too, mm-hmm. and I loved both the book and the show. Um, I really like her as a writer. It's a harder book. The the it took me. I'm like halfway through, and now I'm like really into it. But it's dealing with. A pandemic. It's dealing with time travel. It's dealing with li- people living on the moon. It's it's very wow. interesting. It's, Sounds like it, a lot. It is. It is. And I just finished tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow, which I really want you to read, Justin. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. Yeah, everybody's talked about it. It was on a bunch of lists, but it's great, and I want you to read it. Adding it to my list. How about you, Jack? I'm currently reading a biography called "You'll Never Eat Lunch in This Town Again." Ooh. By Julia Phillips, who is the producer of like The Sting and Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And this book was subtitled The um The Hollywood Chainsaw Massacre because it's a tell-all, basically. Ooh. She spills the Is this tea. new? No, very old. Uh, not very old, but like late 90s, I think, was when she wrote it. She went through like uh, uh, a period of being a drug addict. And basically, she's got stories to dish on Everybody from Spielberg to Schrader to Paul Newman to the only issue I'm having so far I'm about halfway through it is that she's spending just a lot of time like talking about like her husband and and which is all interesting stuff. But I'm wanting more of that Hollywood. Scoop. Yeah. Yeah. Which she's she dabbles in, but she also uses code names for certain people, which is also frustrating because I'm like, I can never tell if I quite know who she's talking about, which is the point. But. So you like you get into movie industry books like like old Hollywood Big stuff. I'm, the one I just read was called Rebels of the Backlot, which is all about you know the '90s uh, indie. Nice. I got a couple things I wanted to share. I'm reading uh, Otessa Moshev's book. Which one? Death in Her Hands. I haven't read that one. You have it on your shelf. I know, but I haven't read it. Oh, okay. Um, That's note. her newest book, right? Second to lot. That she has a new book out now. I don't know that I forgot the name, but this is. Her second to last book. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw the new book in the bookstore and I wanted to read it, but I was like, I haven't, I, I'm not caught up yet. And Death in Her Hands is the last one I have to read. But yeah, I love that writer a lot. Uh, and they're, they they're, they just made a movie of Eileen. 
Yeah, Can't Anne wait. Hathaway. With Anne Hathaway yeah. and um, <sighs> Jojo Rabbit. What's her name? Scarlett Johansson? No, the girl, the, oh. the younger. Um, yeah. Oh, she's yeah. great. She is good. Um, and I really, my favorite of her books is uh, My Year of Rest and Relaxation. Yeah, that was the first one I read, then I read Eileen. Um, but yeah, it's good. She finds a note indicating that there is a dead, a dead girl, Magda, and this is her body. And it wasn't, it says like something like it wasn't me. And mm. so her brain, there's no dead body. And she just has this note and she lives alone with her dog and her husband is dead. Yeah. And her brain just tries, is spiraling, trying to solve this mystery. It's fun. Mm. I'm excited to start reading. Yeah. I mean, I just picked it up because I love her. So yeah, she's uh, an amazing look voice. Look forward to reading it. But yeah, after Texas Chainsaw Massacre follow up, our first episode, mm. uh, I since revisited Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 in 4K Blu-ray. Right. And I did not like the movie at all. Yeah. I remember seeing it with you at the uh, Cine Family, family mm -hmm. and loving it because the audience was going mm. wild. It's a good midnight yeah. movie. I think it requires that. Yeah, but watching it like Home Alone sober, when I say sober, I just mean like alone yeah. without <laughs> any of that hype. It just was, it was actually upsetting. It was really oh, disappointing. Really? <laughs> I was upset, was angry. It felt like a totally different filmmaker did it. And I know like Canon was involved. So they were probably putting a lot of pressure on him to deliver something more exp exploitation. Well, and this was too, you know, he made it uh, like a good bit after the first one. So he'd already done Poltergeist. He'd done Life Force. He had tried to change his career up a little bit. And I think when he finally agreed to do Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, it was a little bit of like, yeah. I guess I'll go back and do yeah. Texas Chainsaw. I mean, it's a fun house and some people like that, but like, I don't like horror uh, set in movies to feel like a Disney theme park yeah. Pirates of the Caribbean It's attraction. a little like a, like a, a company theater dinner dinner playhouse exactly. vibe to yeah it. i can't recommend anyone watch it i mean i guess <laughs> if you're a diehard horror fan you should you should see it but it's it's upsetting i have it, mixed feelings yeah. on it because i remember the first time i watched it i hated it because yeah. i was expecting the tone of the first one and and it it didn't it rubbed me the wrong way but then when when we went and saw it at cinefamily i had a blast yeah, it was so fun and it changed yeah. my tune on it yeah a bit but that's probably the perfect way to see it in a midnight screening with a full audience who are all just having a good time laughing, reacting to everything. That's probably the best way to yeah. watch it. And it was projected on film. And so that takes a little bit of that because it also has like a little bit of like a shot on video quality to mm -hmm. it, too. So I bet you when you see it projected, it, it makes it work better. Yeah, it's not a movie that I recommend seeing in 4K UHD, even though I love the like that release of it. It's loaded with bonus features, amazing packaging, mm -hmm. uh, just disappointing film. But I did start playing Resident Evil 7, which many people say is ba inspired by Texas Chainsaw. And oh, it's interesting. The, the first oh, the first Texas Chainsaw. Yes. Yeah. Um, very, very similar. Like there's instead of a grandpa character in a wheelchair, there's a grandma character in a wheelchair who doesn't <laughs> talk, doesn't say anything, but she keeps like appearing different places in the house. There's a family element, there's a cannibal element to it, but it's the first time the series transitioned to first person shooter. So that makes it way more terrifying. Like I have a really, I love horror movies. I could watch them alone without even blinking and, yeah. and be home alone for days and not stress. But <laughs> something about playing a horror video game, mm -hmm. it's really hard for me to get through it. It's just, I can it's do it scary. in like Like it five, creeps you out? 
Huh? Like it scares you? It, yeah. Well, it's yeah. like that's what the Resident Evil games it, are known for. It raises my heart rate. Yeah. Like I really feel like my blood pressure. Like I'm about to have a stroke. Ooh. It's so intense. Yeah. They've always um, been that way. I felt that way playing the first Resident Evil games. Yeah. But it, it's fun. It there's puzzles. Like mm-hmm. there's <laughs> it's a uh, good game. There it's got like a a mist uh, quality or a riven quality to it, where you're exploring a house and it's a little bit of an RPG as yeah. well as like a mm-hmm. shooter. But yeah, first, I recommend it. I think it's fun. Um, and then, but yeah, last but not least, I just wanted to say what well, I'm excited for Evil Dead Rise. I can't wait Me to too. see it. Me yeah, too. the trailer is so fun. I look forward to it as well. Maybe we'll cover one of the other yeah. Evil Dead movies on the main feed. Mm-hmm. We own them all. Mm-hmm. Well, folks, that is the show. Follow us on social media at Cinema Possessed Pod, where we announce next week's movie ahead of time. And if you want to get in touch with us, email us at cinemapossessedpod at gmail.com. Want to get even more possessed? Head on over to patreon.com slash cinemapossessedpod and unlock the Cinema Possessed bonus materials, our bi-monthly bonus episodes where we talk about more than just what's in our collection. Plus, you can gain exclusive access to Patreon-only contests and community message boards like the Discord. Check it out, folks. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get these things. Jack, what are we watching next week? Next week, we are watching Amy Heckerling's 1995 classic, Clueless. Watch along with us. And as always, keep watching the movies you love and stay possessed. As if. Whatever. See you later. (laughs) 